Hello, I'm Joshua Grinsberg. And I'm Jacob Friedman. And this is Gen Zers Talk Politics. This is a podcast where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. This is not just teen angst. We might throw in a half-baked joke or two. So, in the news this week was that John Ratcliffe, a former Texas representative, was named Director of National Intelligence. He was confirmed by the Senate in the closest vote ever for the Director of National Intelligence, which spans back, I think, I think 2004? Yeah, 2004. The funny thing is, this is the second time he was nominated. This is the second time Trump nominated the same guy for this position. The first time this happened, he basically just withdrew his nomination because two basically two factors. Okay, there was one saying that he embellished his role in prosecuting terrorism suspects when he was a prosecutor in Texas before he was a congressman, and the second thing that was more that was also brought up during his second confirmation hearing was that the director of national intelligence, which is supposed to oversee the entire intelligence community, the CIA, the FBI, and more or less process what the intelligence community is doing. By law, that role is supposed to be filled by someone who has extensive national security expertise as, as their background. And John Radcliffe, I'm looking this up right now. I, I don't think he's had a lot of, actual intelligence experience i think i think the closest thing he's gotten is yeah he yeah he was um okay he was on a homeland house homeland security subcommittee for cybersecurity infrastructure protection he was i want to say he was on the judiciary committee i i think uh oh here we go he was yeah judiciary homeland security committees he was also part of the ethics judiciary homeland security committees uh you know, this, he was a member there. I mean, he, he's been in Congress for what now? He's been in Congress for five years. So that's, but the only thing he's done prior is uh, he's been a mayor of Heath, Texas. Yeah, he was chief of anti-terrorism national security for Eastern District of Texas within the Department of Justice. And he was an interim U.S. attorney for that district. But that doesn't seem to really translate into managing a whole operation of the DNI, so that so that was a major uh, issue brought up at confirmation hearings. But but you know the Senate thought, okay, we have all we've had now months is like an acting DNI. Richard Grinnell, who was uh, ambassador to Germany, and 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 Grinnell has essentially revamped the entire department's infrastructure, and he's basically he's reorganized the cybersecurity. He's done a lot of things to help Michael Flynn in his in his. Uh, court case by um, unmasking, by revealing um, who sought to unmask him um, during his, uh, what happened with the FBI. And that is a, and just to note, that is a completely normal procedure to happen, FBI. Um, so really the choice for Congress was to get a permanent choice in, a permanent person in, or be left with a rotating list of um acting officials, which isn't that great for A, oversight, or B, really continuity of the job, because acting is only there for, I think, about 120 days at most, required by law. So it's it's not, it wasn't really, it was really a choice between, you know, permanent versus acting, even though many did have problems with the permanent selection. 
But in any case, he has several things to deal with on his plate now. He has, what, the possibility of Russian interference, as um, said by both FBI Director Christopher Wray and CIA Director Gina Haspel, Russians are going to try to uh, interfere in, our, in the 2020 election. And the fact that the Michael Flynn case is still going on and that how what Grinnell did, a lot of people have questions about that and how what the DNI is supposed to be doing now. It's it, it, he's going to have a lot on his hands now. So he's going to, so he's going to, Bradford's going to have to make sure he's not going to politicize the job as uh, some Democrats have feared. He's, he has a real uphill battle, but hey, the Senate thought he could do it. So we'll see what happens there. Josh. Thank you, Jacob. Another news. In other news, the Supreme Court has recently, last week, heard arguments on how broad federal laws concerning employment bias played out. This allowed the courts to rule on the proper relationship between church and state. In fact, they had to recently reinvoke precedent from 2012, in which Hosanna Tabor Evangelical Lutheran Church and School v. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 2012. This case concerned Cheryl Parrish, who had been a teacher at a Lutheran school in Michigan. She was fired for pursuing an employment discrimination claim based on a disability. This precedent is currently being invoked to describe the current situation regarding Catholic teachers and Catholic schools in California who have sued their employers for employee bias. The different judges had various opinions on the matter. Justice Neil M. Gorsuch said that he was very weary of ju- judicial entanglement to religious affairs, saying, Why can't we just simply say that a sincerely held religious belief about who is a minister should control? Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg asked whether the ministerial exception from the president in 2012 applied to all school employees. Regardless of opinion, the Supreme Court had to balance preventing interference in religious matters as well as protecting employees from biases. At this time, their verdict is yet undecided. Okay, thank you, Joshua. And so our final story of the day comes from the State Department, where it was announced that uh, State Department Inspector General Steve Linick had been fired after six years on the job. And almost immediately after that came out, congressional Democrats involved with the foreign policy uh, committees, Elliot Angle, Robert Menendez, they came out and said that we're going to immediately investigate this because we have a lot of questions about this. We, we you know, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo reportedly was being investigated by Linick for allegedly misusing the office for his personal gain. Something like, you know, I think it was like he sent an aide out to walk his dog or collect his dry cleaning. And I, I think what, like, there's been like three instances of this happening already in Trump administration to uh, like cabinet members. I think Scott Pruitt, Ryan Zinke, I think Ben Carson has something with a dining room set. Right. And so this is, um, so that's uh, more or less just a regular thing going on in Trump administration at this point. Uh, but the other thing that was more connected to uh, foreign affairs was that apparently Linick was also in the middle of figuring out what happened when the administration basically went under Congress, but went right past them by declaring an emergency so that it could sell an $8 billion worth of arms deals to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, all for uh, the purpose of fending um, against Iraq. And so this whole this whole notion of, you know, firing uh, inspector generals, I think just um, hours or days after uh, Lenik was fired, I think the Department of Transportation Inspector General was let go. And considering that these major decisions are uh, foreign policy and domestic policy are happening and there's no one there to watch over and make sure things are going on 
and are uh, compliant with how with uh, federal procedures, it really, it really, uh, it, this this sets a precedent. This sets a precedent that future presidents would be able to do, since this is not being brought to the Supreme Court. This is not being tested, at least in the judiciary. And re- and really, for an, for an administration that likes to exercise its power and wants to get and what and is and is bent on more or less showing its, uh, rival, its political rivals, they are, in pa- they are going to empower their rivals if they, so, if they so choose to really set their own tricks back on them. It really, they could either blow up in their face having the dogs turn it back on them, or, you know, this could be sent to the Supreme Court. This could be sent to Congress. This could be, you know, turned into a whole big case. And I'm not saying, you know, p- given the state of things right now that you're in a pandemic and given everything else, Really, I don't. Obviously, impeachment and, and, and uh, something as drastic as impeachment probably wouldn't be back brought back up again. But you never know at this point. There could there could be major ramifications in in store for the administration. But this, at this point, who knows? It, uh, there there really is no way to tell at this point. Is is that we are that that deep in uncharted waters? Thank you, Jacob. Okay, so Joshua, here's a question for you: Who is your favorite president? You know, one of my favorite presidents probably has to be FDR. You know, FDR, very well educated. Uh, he came in replacing Herbert Hoover. He um, instantly signed in. Well, he signed in a lot of reforms intended to help the United States get out of the Great Depression. Um, whether these reforms helped are, of course, much up to debate. But in my opinion, I think he did more than Herbert Hoover did. Also, FDR did lead the country for most of World War II, and I think he did a very good job at that. So yeah, overall, I would say FDR is one of my favorite presidents. So how about you, Jacob? Who's your favorite president? I would say my favorite president is probably, um, I'm, well, I hate to be cliche, but probably Lincoln. Um, but, but because I don't, I don't want to repeat something ad nauseum, I want, I'll probably go with uh, my favorite modern president, which is probably uh, Lyndon Johnson. And the reason why I say that is because despite his track record with Vietnam, what he did, though, as president, he got the civil rights passed. I don't think there has been a, pres- been a president who, is, who was more persuasive in Congress in the, pa- in the past, say, 60 years than Johnson. He was, he was a senator from Texas. I think he was, he was the Democratic leader in the Senate. And I think, I think what really worked with him is that he knew how the game was played. He knew how to get stuff done. And despite his shortcomings, he got, he gave us Medicare. He really brought a lot of major issues on poverty to, to America. And he, and he really knew how to connect with people as, as, as a president, particularly after in a time where the house is burning down. Kennedy was just assassinated. The civil rights movement was in its heyday. And he did his damnedest to really uh, get the government in order and try to keep the fire, keep the fire from spreading, keep, keep the house, keep the foundation secure. Really, as him as a political tactician is why I really admire him so much. Is why he's probably my favorite, favorite modern president. Not to mention, he was the one and only president to be inaugurated on an airplane. And I, I think he was also the first to be uh, given the oath of office by a female justice. Really, that I did not know. That concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast host and send us questions about anything regarding the news because your questions make this show. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.